Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums specially curated to accompany your weekly Come Follow Me studies. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This devotional address, entitled Be and Not Seem, was given on January 23rd of 1979 by Marion D. Hanks, then a president of the First Quorum of the Seventy of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is always a pleasant sight and a special experience. I visited the missionaries uh, last week in their training center and told them the story of the person who was imposed upon by a bully after a traffic accident. When the police found the victim, he was in pretty rough condition. They said to him, can you describe the man who hit you? He said, that's what I was doing when he hit me. (laughs) Well, (laughs) describing uh, this situation to others would be uh, an overblown endeavor. I don't try to do it, but I do congratulate you on the special privilege of being here, and I'm quite anxious this morning that my visit, always treasured, may be useful to you and me, and I'm particularly prayerful that I may be directed among those many thoughts that have crossed my mind to those that may be particularly important to you. I do not have a manuscript, but some notes. One of the notes reminds me of something that is on a tombstone in England, really is, and that may be uh, interesting to you. There's just a single line which reads, I told you I was sick. We do not always listen wisely or well. I remembered also, for some reason, an account uh, long forgotten of the man who wanted to go hunting on property which had been theretofore posted against it, but in a conversation with the owner of the property, the permission was granted on one condition. The condition was that the prospective hunter do the owner a favor and shoot his old mule. It was in very sad condition. It should really be dispatched, but the owner had such a long and loving relationship that he didn't want to do it himself. So he said, if you'll just shoot my mule for me, then you may hunt here. The petitioner went back to his group and, thinking to have a little fun, said, the guy won't let us hunt here today. And that makes me very angry after we've come so far, and I intend to do something about it. You wait here. I'm going to get even with him. So he pretended to be creeping up to the mule, and upon reaching it, shot it. Just after he did, he heard two shots from behind him. He said, what are you doing? His two companions had crept up. They said, we got his horse and his cow. Let's go. 
Um, now that leads me into that uh, central idea which I suspect you may remember, not because I say it, but because it is so very important. In the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew are some lines that I would invite you to listen to carefully as I establish a theme for these few moments. Christ teaching the multitude and his disciples, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All, therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. For they bind, he's going to give some examples, they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments, and love the uppermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, then he counsels that no one is to be called Master, save he. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. There is a little more I would read. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides which strain at a net and swallow a camel, 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Finally, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. That terrible indictment to the Pharisees came because they were addicted to the policy and program of seeming instead of being. It is said that one of the mythical, magnificent leaders in ancient times did what he did with such great grace and graciousness and goodness because he had early adopted a, a motto, a guide, a principle which was inscribed inside his shield. Only he, but repeatedly he, saw it in his deeds of bravery, courage, and kindness. There was inscribed there these words, there were inscribed, to be and not to seem. Well, the Pharisees, fastidious and meticulous in their, their adherence to the letter of the law, were seemers. Pretense, say, do not. These were words the Lord used, and repeatedly that terrible word which makes all of us cringe, hypocrite, was used on them. Many who have understood what he meant have given us a comparable counsel or counsel in consequence of what he said, and of them all I choose one that to me for many years has been of special meaning. Thomas Akempis was born nearly 600 years ago. He wrote these words, which again I invite you to listen to carefully in context now of our theme. The doctrine of Christ exceedeth all the doctrine of holy men, and he that hath the Spirit will find therein the hidden manna. But it falleth out that many who often hear the gospel of Christ feel little desire after it because they have not the Spirit of Christ. But whosoever will fully and with relish understand the words of Christ must endeavor to conform his life wholly to the life of Christ. What doth it avail thee to discourse profoundly of the Trinity 
if thou be void of humility and art therefore displeasing to the Trinity. Surely profound words do not make a man holy and just, but a virtuous life maketh him dear to God. I had rather feel contrition than know the definition thereof. I had rather feel contrition than know the definition thereof. If thou didst know the whole Bible by heart and the sayings of all the philosophers, what would all that profit thee without the love of God and without his grace? Well, I think I'll add part of this next paragraph. Still from Thomas Akempis. Vanity, therefore, it is to seek after perishing, perishing riches and to trust in them. Vanity also it is to hunt after honors and to climb to high degree. Vanity it is to follow the desires of the flesh and to long after that for which thou must afterwards suffer grievous punishment. Vanity it is to wish to live long and to be careless to live well. Vanity it is, I add, and foolishness indeed to pretend, to say and not to do, to seem and not to be. In its worst form, that is hypocrisy. In its best form, I suppose, it might be thought to be pursuing the as-if principle. That is to say, I will behave as if I were honest, decent, moral, courteous, gracious, sensitive, courageous, and in so behaving, I will acquire the capacities, make the habits become capable of being all those things. I suspect that most of us fall someplace in between. We do not savor, in fact, we sicken at the thought that we are hypocrites, and yet we do so much to be seen of man. We sometimes say that, which will tickle the ears of man. We pretend, knowing that in our own quiet places, our closet, and wherever the place, our minds, we are not what we see. Now, this is not to suggest that only the perfect may act with credibility in matters of important principle. All of us falling short are inevitably visited with the pangs and pains of our own failures. There is a universal understanding of that in this room since none of us is exempt from it. But to deliberately pretend, to put on a show, to give long prayers when we have devoured the widow's house, to do less than we 
can and should and pretend to do, to go through motions not because they are honest efforts to do better, but simply to try to fit somebody's conception of what we are, and we are false in it. All of this is vanity and foolishness indeed. Christ's life is instruction, his testimony, centered in being in being what we ought to be. And there then is great room in his holy heart to forgive when we fall short in trying to be what we ought to be. Early this morning, under the heading, Be and Not Seem, I noted for myself and I share with you an idea or two about him that is no pretense at comprehensive scholarship, but a simple expression of what seems to me right now to be so admirable and beautiful in him that I would like to be able to be. His acute awareness, his sensitivity to the lives and needs of others, to the point that the woman in the mob who needed to touch the hem of his garment and did found response, not only in her own well-being, but in his knowing. He knew he had been touched ever so lightly. And when he mentioned that his disciples seeing the thronging multitudes wondered how he could ask such a question. Who touched him? Many were touching him. But one touched him with a special need and a heart ready for the response. And he knew it. His acceptance of others as they were, not intending to leave them as they were, he could heal a body, and he could bless a mind, and he could help change a soul for the willing. The prodigal, Zacchaeus, Magdalene, that moment on the cross when he forgave, and of them all, that tender time that touches me so when a father who loved a son and who had sought help from the disciples and not received it and presented himself to the Lord pleading for help, heard him say, do you have faith? All things can be accomplished through faith. Do you remember his courageous, wonderful answer? I think one who has not loved a son might have a little less sensitivity to this. With his heart, his life hanging on his son's well-being, when he was asked, do you have faith? He answered, yea, Lord, I believe. 
Bless thou, help thou, my unbelief. He didn't have perfect faith, but he knew to whom he spoke and trusted. Oh, how I love that. Oh, how I need that. Courage? Well, it was not political, not always persuasive, and did not, in terms of this life and the immediacy of the cross, prevail. Yet his courage was clean and strong and noble and godly. He spoke the truth, and he acted in conformity with it. His humility. He made full use of his powers to serve and heal and help and teach, always making it clear that he relied on his Father and the Spirit, doing it all in the spirit of the least among you yet knowing always who he was and what powers he might have invoked. We shouldn't have favorite stories, but I, again, well, I, I should not say that. I suppose we, we may well have favorite stories. What I meant to say is not at the expense of many others that another time, another day, more prayers, more tears, more living may make favorite. But at the moment and over many years, I've loved this. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. The love, the love that was greater than faith, greater than hope, that never faileth, that expressed itself in service, in sacrifice, in giving, the love that brought to mankind the door to all that is good here and all that is creative 
and progressive and challenging and exciting and satisfying and sweet hereafter. The love that was not just language or example, but was also specific instruction in what may have been the high point of his instruction about love to me. He said, there are those, and you know the exact words which I could quote, but let me apply. There are those who are hungry and thirsty, who lack sufficient clothing, who are strangers or feel it, who are sick, who are in prison. Love means doing something for them. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Oh, this is not a catalog of his virtues, but a testimony of his great heart. Now, us, we, we who don't want to seem but would really like to be. The path he laid out in his instruction and his example, in his testimony, in his life, is one not beyond our capacity to follow. There are those who need to touch us and feel a response of acceptance and affection and mercy. There are those who are hungry, hungry for food. And we have a little, maybe not much. There are those and there are many among us who still feel strange in this great institution. Strangers, they need to be brought in. There are people in the hospitals and people in the prisons. These are not beyond our capacity to reach. I'll give you an example or two as I try to make this meaningful and risk a little because one of the examples is the latest and sweetest and loveliest of my own blessings and in sharing it I'll spoil it in a sense, but I will. I'll finish with that, but first share with you what I experienced across the seas as I listened to a modest, gentle, manly father wearing the uniform of his country, leading and doing a job of importance while he gave great service to the kingdom and his fellow man. He shyly told me of his work among many other officers in the prosecution arm of the United States Army who were not like 
him, not living the kind of life he was living, but other kinds of lives. They hadn't been very much interested in the fact that he was a Mormon leader or that he had a certain sense of loyalty to his wife and children and to God and a control of his tongue or a way of speaking different from their own. None of that impressed them very much. He and his wife found themselves leaving parties early quite frequently because the activities of the evening were not wholesome. And as the evening progressed, they became more ugly as additional spirits were imbibed and people losing their restraints acted less like men than animals. He was not one who judged lightly or readily, and he was not expressing harsh judgment against them. He was simply explaining a setting, presenting a setting for a simple incident that I'll not forget. He said they went to a Christmas party, still a little reluctantly, but happier this time because the host family was a fine family and they had little children of the same general age as this family. The children came in their pajamas by invitation and joining the host family, children were playing together in another room while the adults began their dinner. Periodically, the children came out and disturbed the dinner with childish playing or questioning until finally the Mormon father, his sense of uh, humor tried a little bit, said, now look, you, you kids go on in there and stay there and don't come out again or else. They sat at dinner at time. The door opened from the bedroom and a little line of children came, the two-year-old in the vanguard. They were sure Daddy wouldn't do too much violence to him. The older brother had him by the shoulders, egging him on. The two-year-old said, as father disturbed and feeling that he had to do something because he had said he would, began to pull back his chair. The two-year-old said, Daddy, you and Mama forgot family prayer. Instead of embarrassment, Mama said, Honey, we did forget. She pulled her chair back. He, his, they excused themselves and quietly took their children and the other children into the bedroom, performed their simple act of family unity, and quietly came back to the table, seated themselves, and went on with the dinner. It was a different night, he said to me. And it's been a different office. That party didn't end like all the rest. And at the office, things are different now. They wept. To be and not to seem my own little experience. There sits a man on the stand whom I admire very much. He has a brother who is a physician. 
and a medical researcher. I had the great honor to visit that brother and his family and others in a stake presidency in another place. The visit was beautiful and sweet, not extraordinary. We met the families, the wives and children, and conversed with them, got to know them and love them, and left the stake feeling like brothers with these men. Some months passed. I met the physician on the street on South Temple near Main Street. We talked a little while. He seemed so pleased that I'd remember him. I got the feeling there was something he'd like to tell me, but both of us had to hurry, and so we just put our arms around each other and parted. A few days later, this letter came, which I'm going to share with you just as it's written and in conclusion. If I had any inkling that you would misunderstand it or, it's, or the purpose I have in reading it, I would not share it. I plead with you, let your hearts tune in for just a moment now. Dear Brother Hanks, meeting you on the street the other afternoon was a very pleasant surprise for me, and I'm sorry we were in such a hurry because I wanted to share an experience with you that's been very dear to me. Thus, I thought I'd take the opportunity to write you this note and tell you. Perhaps you remember when you visited our stake that lunch was served by my wife and my young daughter. You asked my daughter her name, and she replied, Mary. And you told her that that was a most beautiful name for many reasons. And you told her that you also had a daughter named Mary and told her about your Mary. That episode changed Mary's attitude about her name. Up to that point, she had not liked her name very well because she thought it so plain. Thereafter, she thought of her name in a very different light. I don't know exactly what you told her or what message she received from you, but I must tell you that it changed her life. My wife and I have reflected on that experience a great deal during these past few months, and it has brought back such pleasant and very choice memories. We will be forever grateful to you for that brief encounter because of what it did for Mary. I'm sure that you have had no way of knowing that Mary passed away a short time after that. Her death was very sudden and due to medical reasons that are not yet explained. I wanted you to know how you touched her life and thank you for it. We have nothing to give. We are so weak, so sinful. Our memories are so bad. We really can't expect anybody to care very much or get very much from us. Oh, God bless us to be and not to seem, to give, to love, to be humble. If we cannot lift up even our eyes unto heaven, then God help us to have sense enough 
to cry, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But you have much, much to give. Let this simple incident say what I could not say if I tried for an hour and tell you that I know this is God's work and that we are really neighbors, brothers, sisters, his children, and that there is in the least of us and the most dependent that which is better than we understand and shared can bring more than we know to those who seek. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.